Here they come. Right now, they're gathering from hospitals all across America for Talk 10 Tuesday. They know there's important news and information just ahead. Don't miss out. Come in, sit down, and log on. It's Talk 10 Tuesday. Here now is the publisher of ICD-10 Monitor, Chuck Buck. Thank you, Clark Anthony. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 330th edition of Talk 10 Tuesday. I'm brought to you today by ICD University. And joining me this morning as my co-host is Dr. Megan Curtazio. Dr. Curtazio is Assistant Professor of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation at the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine. Dr. Reamer is on assignment. Good morning, Megan. Megan, thanks for being with us this morning. Thanks for co-hosting. Thanks, and good morning, Chuck, and hello to everyone. This morning, our lead story is about ICD-11 codes that were released last week by the World Health Organization and reported here by ICD-10 Monitor. That's right, Chuck. Reporting our lead story this morning is Robert Jacob with the World Health Organization. Dr. Jacob is standing by Geneva, Switzerland, reporting specifically on the new ICD-11 codes of senior healthcare consultant Laurie Johnson. Yes, and Ellen Fink-Samnick, a nationally recognized expert on the social determinants of health, will be reporting on a new research study at McLean Hospital. This study reveals how social determinants of health contribute to poor mental health. And speaking of mental health, Dr. Catherine Harrison-Vistali will report on the integration of mental health and medicine. We have much to report this morning, and we begin with Dr. Larry Field. He's at the Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk. The Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk is sponsored by ICD University, inviting you to visit the new ICD-10 Monitor webcast subscription portal. Look for the link in the handout tab of today's program or visit the ICD University web store. Here now is Dr. Larry Field. Good morning, everyone. Previous shows, we had talked about sepsis indicators, and we've also talked about how documentation sometimes is driving uh, certain diagnoses. And I came across a case that was interesting last week that I wanted to share. It was a 56-year-old gentleman who happened to uh, drink too much quite often, and he presented with weakness to the emergency room. In the emergency room, he had normal examination. His vital signs were stable with a blood pressure of 150 over 70, heart rate probably in the 60s, but he did take a beta blocker for hypertension. Uh, Respiratory rate was normal. Everything else was normal. His physical exam was normal. When he had serum chemistries done, they were also normal, noted with a CO2 that is in the normal range at 24. But a serum lactic acid level was done, and it came back at 6. He had a white count that was about 12,000. The rest of the CBC was normal. And on urinalysis, he had 10 to 20 WBCs per high-powered field, which is abnormal, uh, giving him a diagnosis of a UTI as it was not a contaminated specimen. And due to the lactic acid, what was documented was sepsis on admission. And uh, being an old-school kind of doc, um, what you're seeing is, Uh, documentation based on a single lab test used as the clinical indicator driving the diagnosis instead of all the clinical indicators going together to drive the diagnosis. And in his particular case, he had an alcohol level that was 0.18, along with the lactic acid being elevated, showing poor perfusion that he he needed to be hydrated and all that would have gone away. But instead, he came in with a diagnosis of sepsis. So now that chart most likely will be miscoded on the back end. So that the most of the point here is make sure that even though we have a lab test that shows us something, that all the clinical indicators kind of make sense to go together 
that a serum lactic acid of 6 would also go along with someone being hypotensive, tachycardic, um, or other sign of metabolic acidosis that you would assume was related to sepsis. Don't just go by a single laboratory test to drive a diagnosis. Back to you, Chuck. Thank you, Dr. Field. That was Dr. Larry Field. Dr. Field is the treasurer of the American College of Physicians Advisors. It's Tuesday. It's June 26, 2018, and you're listening to the 330th edition of Tucked In Tuesdays. Stand by. This edition of Talk 10 Tuesday is brought to you by ICD University, inviting you to attend a webcast by Lori Johnson on the coding of anemia. Anemia is a topic that has undergone changes in recent years. It's also a focus of the auditors wanting to reduce the hospital's assigned MSDRG. With an estimated 200,000 new cases of anemia diagnosed every year, it's time for you and your team to get the information your department needs to accurately assign anemia codes. With the education gained from this webcast, you will have the ability to accurately assign the anemia codes and the justification to overturn or support the anemia code assignment. To attend, click on the Register button in the handout section of this program or visit the ICD University web store. Thanks, Mark Anthony. Our lead story this morning is about the ICD-11 codes that were released last week with the World Health Organization. We have two reports here now with our first report, specifically the new codes, is senior healthcare consultant Lori Johnson. And later in this broadcast, we're going to hear from Dr. Robert Jacob, who's standing by in Geneva, Switzerland. But here now is Lori Johnson. Good morning, Lori. Good morning, Chuck. And good morning, Megan. And hello, everyone out there to our listeners. There was a lot of buzz last week when the World Health Organization announced that the ICD-11 code set was released. This was the culmination of many years of collaboration and work, but the work is not yet completed. IC11 will be presented at the World Health Assembly in May 2019, which will be held in Geneva, Switzerland. It will be the 72nd meeting of the organization. Some important changes for ICD-11 include the category will be four characters rather than the three in ICD-10-CM. A letter will be in the second position and a number will be in the third position. There are 30 chapters, which is an increase of nine chapters um, from what's in ICD-10-CM. The classification will have three volumes an index, which is a list of 120,000 clinical terms, which is used to find the code, the tabular, which is the alphanumeric listing, and a reference volume. And this volume is an introduction to the context components and the attended use of ICD. The title of my article today is Hurry Up and Wait, because as a profession, we are excited to see ICD move forward but it is important to recognize that we are early in the process. The effective date for ICD-11 is January 2022. The Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, which administers ICD for the U.S., also has a process to clinically modify the classification for our purposes. The clinical modification is a four- to six-year process. So as you can see, it will take a while for ICD-11 to come to the United States. So don't dust off your ICD-10 implementation process just yet. 
but stay informed as to what is happening with ICD-11. I'm going to give you a URL to, to keep up to date with ICD-11, and that URL is H, T as in Tom, T as in Tom, P as in Paul, S as in Sam, colon, front slash, front slash, ICD, period, W-H-O, period, I-N-T. Chuck, back to you. Thanks very much, uh, Lori. That was Lori Johnson. Lori is Senior Healthcare Consultant for Revenue Cycle Solutions. And you can read Lori's excellent reporting on the new ICD-11 codes on our homepage at icd10monitor.com. And coming up later in the broadcast, we're going to learn why gaming has been added to the ICD-11 code set. That's when Robert Jacob joins us from Geneva, Switzerland. Today we're reporting on mental health, and we have two reports. Our first report is on a recent hospital study that reveals how age and socioeconomic status might contribute to poor mental health. With that story here now is social determinants of health expert, Alan Fink-Samnick. Good morning, Alan. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Chuck, and good morning, all. Now, the social determinants of health was a popular topic for attendees at last week's Case Management Society of America annual conference in Chicago. My conversations with colleagues validated the countless challenges faced across the industry, all struggling to address these non-clinical factors that impact poor health outcomes and readmissions. It's long been said there is no health without mental health. Well, a new study out of McLean Hospital in Belmont, Massachusetts, validates this fact by focusing on how age and socioeconomic status impact social isolation, plus contribute to poor mental health. Causal relationships between poverty and the high incidence of behavioral health issues are constant themes in the literature. Consumer behaviors like social connectedness, socioeconomic status, and environmental factors account for 60% of what determines a person's health. Studies show those persons impacted by the social determinants are less likely to have access to mental health resources, more likely to obtain needed care from community mental health services, as well as emergency rooms. The McLean study co-authors, Drs. Laura Germain and David Dedell Feder of the University of Rochester, used an online research platform to investigate how the experiences of social pleasure and social drive varied for 20,000 individuals. They looked at multiple demographics across the lifespan, socioeconomic status, and ethnicity. For three years, they examined factors that underlie social anhedonia, a clinical term to describe a lack in social motivation, a reduced drive to engage in social interactions, or difficulty deriving pleasure from social interactions. Now, social isolation is already associated with lesser health outcomes, particularly for disabled and older adults. Those persons with limited or no access to social support are at greater risk for comorbid medical and behavioral health exacerbation. High incidences of major depression and anxiety complicate chronic health conditions from diabetes and congestive heart failure to pulmonary diseases and renal failure. 75% of U.S. seniors live with multiple chronic conditions and are more than twice as likely to develop Alzheimer's-like dementia from social isolation. The McLean results emphasize how understanding social motivation across populations could enhance the efforts of populations to know who is at risk and why. The study identified how low social motivation in middle adulthood could lead to lower social support and subsequently contribute to poorer health outcomes. 
interventions and resources to increase social support could be key to addressing mental health difficulties during this life stage and beyond. The McLean research begs for developing creative roles that allow for direct intervention with populations impacted by the social determinants, such as embedded case managers within physician practices. 80% of physicians lack time during routine consults to address behavioral health concerns. 64% lack the staff and resources to address these risk factors. $1.7 trillion for 5% of the population are attributed to social determinants alone. Investigating social behavior in the population and linking it to mental health occurrence will contribute to enhanced methods of assessment, diagnosis, and treatment. Using the research to advance new case management roles is vital as organizations wrestle with fiscal shortfalls in the millions for those persons they serve. Megan, back to you. Thank you, Ellen, very much. I think this was uh, very informative and helpful, especially for a lot of the doctors listening today. And that was Ellen Fink-Samnick. Ellen is an award-winning industry expert and author. Ellen is also an ICD-10 Monitor contributor. Chuck, back to you. Hey, thanks, Megan. And uh, Ellen, thanks very much. Uh, coming up in about 14 minutes after the hour, we're going to check in with Dr. Robert Jacob. He's standing by in Geneva, Switzerland, to report on the new ICD-11 code. Our second report on mental health comes from Dr. Katherine Harrison Ristalli. Dr. Ristalli is reporting on the integration of mental health into primary care. It's a trending topic, of course. So good morning, Dr. Ristalli, and welcome to Talk 10 Tuesday. It seems like you're kind of working on the intersection of mental health and medicine. Is that right? That's correct. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really pleased to be here to represent Shepherd Pratt. Shepherd Pratt's the largest nonprofit uh, mental health provider for mental health services and special education in the country. And we offer the whole continuity of care from 27 inpatient units to schools to outpatient programs. And we're very fortunate to have partnered with a community hospital right next door, which is Greater Baltimore Medical Center, our community psychiatrist program, Mosaic Community Services, and a wonderful addictions program called Colmac, and we have a brought integrated mental health services to our primary care clinics at GBMC. So at GBMC, we have 10 outpatient practices. We've got a full-time behavioral health consultant in nine of the 10 practices, and that's a social work trained person who can do motivational interviewing, help you with weight loss, do CBT for your insomnia, screen and help treat your depression and anxiety. We also have consulting psychiatrists in every practice each week and a specialized substance abuse consultant. So it's a wonderful way to have wraparound services. And this is important because our, our goal is the triple aim. We want better outcomes at lower cost and have a better experience of care for patients. We know psychiatric illness is common. 30% of patients with medical issues also have mental health issues. We know psychiatric illness contributes to 25% of disability worldwide and 10% of the years spent lived with disability from depression alone. And we know that folks with depression are three times more likely to have psychiatric illness, with heart disease 10 times more likely, with cancer 40 times more likely. We know suicides are up 
and occur every 14 minutes in the United States. We also know it's hard for a lot of people to figure out, hey, do I even need help? And if I do, how do I find access to care? There's a general shortage of mental health providers. So most people feel most comfortable at their PCP office. So we're bringing behavioral health, I think, where it really belongs in an integrative um, setting. So we're empowering and teaching the primary care docs to be the primary deliverers of most of the care, but we're there for backup, for expertise, for consultation, and for specialized services. And it breaks down barriers for people who feel embarrassed or ashamed. It prevents folks from coming to the emergency room with a panic attack and winding up with a million-dollar cardiac workup that they don't really need. And it helps them manage their somatic um, conditions better. So if you treat someone's depression, you get their blood pressure to goal, or they're more likely to take their diabetes and their hemoglobin A1C is better. So in the end, about each dollar that you spend on primary care mental health integration, you'll save six bucks down the line in preventing strokes and heart attacks and hospital readmissions. It doesn't come all at once. You have to be patient, but it's a wonderful opportunity to get folks better health. And we've been really successful. We've screened, um, we've had more than 5,000 visits with our behavioral health consultants, almost 1,000 with our psychiatrist. We've been able to reduce anxiety scores by 52% and depression scores by 36%. Um, patients keep their appointments. 86% of our appointments are kept compared to 50% behavioral health appointments nationwide. And we've screened uh, almost 80,000 um, NIDA screens for substance use disorders, 46,000 patients in our primary care clinic. And when we catch folks um, who screen positive for substance use disorders, the goal is not to shame them or um, embarrass them, but to say, hey, this is really dangerous for you, and I'm worried about you, and how can we help you live a better, richer, fuller life um, and manage your stress or anxiety in other ways. So it's a great opportunity to help the primary care docs and the psychiatrists work better to drive better health. Thank you so much. This sounds like a great program you guys have implemented in uh, Baltimore. That was uh, Dr. Catherine Harrison Rostelli. Dr. Rostelli is a psychiatrist with the Shepherd Pratt Health System and chairman of the Department of Psychiatry at the Greater Baltimore Medical Center. Back to you, Chuck. Thanks, uh, Megan, very much. And Dr. Estelli, thank you again for being on our broadcast today. We sincerely appreciate your taking time to be with us today. We've been mentioning throughout today's broadcast that Dr. Robert Jacob is with us to report on the new ICD-11 codes that were released last week by the World Health Organization. So here now, calling in from Geneva, Switzerland, is Dr. Robert Jacob. Good morning, Dr. Jacob, and welcome to the program a couple of questions, Dr. Jacob. Uh, first, uh, will there be a paper ICD-11 book? And the second question is, uh, what year do you expect the companion publication on the chapter of mental health disorders to be released? Definitely, there will be also a paper version of the ICD-11 for those who really like the good old paper. However, ICD-11 is a fully electronic product and uh, will show its full potential of making users' lives much easier if used on a computer. Um, as I said, nevertheless, there will be a print version available just in case. And don't forget that ICD-11 comes with a browser that allows to access all aspects of the classification, aspects that you cannot print in a book, like uh, cross-references and electronic user support. 
ICD-11 comes with a coding tool that allows entering a diagnosis and getting the best suggestion for coding in the first line of the results. And an intelligent search allows you to search for codes for complex terms and returns code sequences that then may include additional codes for detailed anatomy or laterality. Say if somebody breaks the right lower arm, uh, then you can describe the transversal fracture and code separately that it was the right arm that was injured, for example. Now, when it comes to the companion version of ICD-11 for mental health, uh, yes, there are materials. There will be a companion version. Also, again, ICD-11 is an electronic tool, so all the content of ICD-11 is in one place, in one ontology, so that whoever is using it can access all the content. Um, so all the companion information that has been in separate volumes will, of course, be accessible on the same platform online. For special user groups, we may have filters so that we can have a mental health version, but essentially then we would just filter the mental health chapter, and so users probably will want just to use the full classification of diseases. Now, other aspects in relation to ICD-11 is certainly that we have a translation platform. And this electronic tool makes sure that for other, all the languages, we can have correct translation. And all these tools I was talking about before are available in all these other languages that, of course, can be used for translating uh, diagnosis in other languages. And on the other hand, it improves the consistency of the data of the classification. Then the new thing in ICD-11 is also that uh, besides the incorporation of these companion uh, to, um, systems, we have the extension codes. So they complement the detail included in the 26 chapters of ICD-11. So you can record a detailed anatomy for diagnosis, a skin cancer could be specified for its exact location much more accurately than is possible in ICD-10, so left or right arm, detailed histopathology of the tumor, and so on. And in case of treatment complications, the chemotherapeutic substance can be coded as well as the way of administration, so patient safety reporting can be done fully with ICD-11, and if during a stay a pressure ulcer is discovered, an extra code can inform you that ulcer had been present at admission or occurred during the stay. Also, we have a new section on functioning in ICD-11 that allows assessment of fitness of a patient using a scoring system that has been in place by WHO for several years. And uh, of course, the extension codes can inform about tumor stage, grading, or severity of many other conditions. Now, major classification changes are the new chapters on the immune system allowing to better tabulate these conditions and capture also allergic reactions much better than in ICD-10. We have conditions related to sexual health that allow to move gender incongruence outside the mental health chapter. We have a sleeping disorders chapter and a new chapter on traditional medicine of which the current module one relates to ancient Chinese medicine. <coughs> we have new codes in many sections like, for example, uh, cerebral vascular conditions moved into the nervous system chapter. We have new codes for sepsis in line with the new definition. We have a complete rewrite of the chapter on conditions of the skin and subclassifications of valve disease or pulmonary hypertension in line with current science. 
We have a new structure for rheumatic diseases, modern subdivisions for eye diseases, and the addition of histopathology in the chapter of neoplasms. And one small change, the inclusion of gaming disorder has received a lot of attention, but it's only one of many improvements that have moved ICD closer to the clinical world. Gaming added as an is an increasing public health issue in countries and there is also need to standardize the definition and that was one of the reasons for inclusion of gaming disorder. Now, another major change is the coding scheme and that has been mentioned earlier in this um, transmission and uh, the, thanks to the electronic infrastructure of ICD-11, ICD-11 has become much more intuitive to use for coding and requires much less training than the previous version. But this is just a small sample of uh, what has changed in ICD-10 and ICD-11, but you will find all the detail in the reference guide and online at this icd.who.rnt. Thank you, and over to you, Chuck. Thank you very, very much, uh, Dr. Jacob, for a most insightful discussion on the new ICD-11 codes. That was Dr. Robert Jacob. Dr. Jacob is the team leader of classifications and technology for the World Health Organization. Dr. Jacob was calling in live from Geneva, Switzerland. We've asked our panelists to stick around for a roundtable discussion on today's Talk 10 Tuesday, so gathered around our virtual roundtable here, Dr. Larry Field, Lori Johnson, Alan Fink-Samnick, and Drs. Catherine Ristelli and Dr. Course Robert Jacobs. Here's a question for Vicki. She says, we have a pregnant uh, patient on the mental health unit, and uh, the diagnosis is usually 099342. Is it appropriate to query the OB doctor to see if the mental disorder is affecting the pregnancy? to see if we can code Z3317, otherwise we do not get paid for the claim for state regulators. So this question is directed to you, Dr. Rostelli. Can you comment on that? Mental illness is common in pregnancy and um, can certainly confound both obstetrical outcomes and limits in pregnancy, sometimes limit the treatment options that are available. So I certainly think, given the complexity of care, there should be ways to code and document the good care that you're giving if you're really, truly integrating both mental health care and obstetrical care together. I don't know about the specific codes. I'm sorry about that. All right, that's fine. Uh, Lori Johnson, uh, would you please restate the uh, the link where they can get more information on the ICD-11 codes? Sure. That link is https colon front slash front slash icd dot who dot int. Thanks. Teresa has a question she wants to know, and Dr. Jacob, this is a question directed to you. Does ICD-11 only include diagnosis codes, or will there be procedure codes like an ICD-10 PCS? Thank you for asking this question. So ICD, by principle, does not really have procedure codes. However, we are developing in team with several countries uh, procedure classification, the ICHE, International Classification of Health Interventions, that will be going to systematic testing early next year, so it can be available end of next year as an international public good. Very good. Thank you, Dr. Jacob. Dr. Sally, I have a question for you. Uh, this came up uh, when you were mentioning uh, in, in your situation that you are noting that there is a suicide committed every 14 minutes. Um, and I ask you this question because uh, there has been reporting that there are more people seeking mental health these days than in the past, yet suicide rates seem to increase. Do you have any comment on that? 
you can look at that kind of in a discouraging way, which is, gosh, this treatment isn't working at all, or, gee, treatment is making people worse. I actually think it's something different. I think that the need is really great, and we're still not meeting the need. So while a lot of folks are getting treatment, the treatment that they're getting is um, either inadequate or not enough folks who are suffering are reaching treatment. So many folks who commit suicide have a psychiatric illness. So um, if you look at their behaviors after they die, you could say that they had depression or psychosis or addiction. Most of those folks were not actually in treatment. So treatment does reduce your risk of suicide. Um, um, But many folks did actually seek medical care um, in the 30 days before they died. But they're most often bumping into a primary care doctor or an emergency room doctor, which is part of why it's beneficial to institute depression, anxiety, and substance use screening in these other places. Because the folks that comes in with stomach upset um, or with chronic headache or with chest pain may very well be depressed or anxious. Thank you, Dr. Roselli, very much for that comment. We appreciate it. That's going to be a wrap for this, our 330th edition of Talk 10 Tuesday. And Dr. Megan Cortazzo and I want to thank our guests today, Dr. Larry Field, Alan Fink-Samnick, Lori Johnson, Dr. Catherine Roselli, whom you just heard, and our special guest, Dr. Robert Jacob, with the World Health Organization who was calling in from Geneva, Switzerland. And a special thank you to you, Dr. Megan Cortazzo, for co-hosting today's Talk 10 Tuesday. And a program note, the next Talk 10 Tuesday live broadcast is going to be Tuesday, July 10th. We're going to be observing the 4th of July. In the meantime, you can hear us live, on demand, anywhere, anytime, anyplace. It's free. Just listen to us on Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, and Google Play. Until Tuesday, July 10th, I'm Chuck Buck, speaking on behalf of Dr. Mike Cartazio and everyone here at Talk 10 Tuesday and IC10 Monitor. Have a great week and a safe and compliant 4th of July. Thank you, everyone. Talk 10 Tuesday is a production of ICD-10 Monitor. 